Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Struggle Creates Strength. Struggle Creates Strength is a mental health platform exemplifying that everyone has a story. I always say that no two stories are the same, but every story has the potential to help someone else. On today's episode, we are joined by 19-year-old Abby Wessels. This podcast left her and I both in tears on a few counts, but it was nothing short of motivational. She talked a lot about anxiety disorder, what it's like to have an eating disorder, and also how she first seeked professional help and the reasons behind it. Abby's podcast was incredible and she's somebody who has so much knowledge and so much courage and you can hear it in her voice and see it in her eyes when she tells her story. I hope everyone enjoys her story and I hope that you can reach out to her and have some conversations with her because she has so much knowledge, especially in the field of anxiety. Also, this podcast is sponsored by Raincoast Clothing. Raincoast Clothing is a clothing company based out of Vancouver Island, Canada. They represent nature by embracing adventure, spontaneity, and health, both physical and mental. They've recently decided to join my mental health movement and donate 5% of profits from every item of clothing towards mental health awareness. Also, we have collaborated and created a Struggle Create Strength t-shirt, which has 100% of profits going towards mental health awareness. Go to raincoastclothing.com and help support mental health while getting yourself some great clothes. Now, I hope you enjoy Abby's story. And just remember that everyone has a story. Hello. (laughs) I changed things up. I figured if you were a little nervous about this, I would just wear a cowboy hat. So it's whatever. (laughs) Oh my gosh, makes it so much better. (laughs) I know, I figured, why not? It's fun Friday, right? That's how, Why we, not? Yeah. that's how we start doing podcasts. Fun Friday, just have a good time. That's what we're Fun all Friday, for. <laughs> wear a cowboy hat Friday. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. It makes, makes it way more chill. <laughs> exactly. Well, honestly, I just want to first and foremost, like always, just really thank you for coming on the podcast, for reaching out, for actually showing interest in the platform, and for obviously now sharing your story, allowing basically yourself to help others and really speaking up and showing what it takes to better your own mental health, but also help others better their mental health. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me. I just like want to help any way that I can. If this is the way to do it, then, you know, I'm, I'm all in. So, yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, just from the little, the little conversations that we've had and basically all the, like all the parts of your story that you have, like that you have shared with me, I have already been blown away. And I know that I've, I've added you onto, well, I guess now this is kind of a first, first little preview for all of our listeners, but to the struggle create strength team, which is super exciting. And that's going to be super awesome to finally release when that when that comes, I think it's going to be very shortly. So exciting. Yeah. It's so it's exciting. Really exciting. Yeah. And I think it's just another really way to really, yeah, exactly. And just build, really build the community and just mm-hmm. show that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to share your story. It's okay to speak up and to have struggles and to be vulnerable. Like that's, that's why we're here. We're here embracing who we really are and our past. Like I always say, this really doesn't define our future. And you're the one that's mm-hmm. all that. And if there's people that can help, if there's people that like yourself that want to share their stories and help others and help in any way that we can, then that's awesome. Yeah. I'm just so excited for this like next chapter, especially with like struggle creates strength and like everything that you've done. Like I'm so excited for this next part of it. Right. And it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm going to give you the mic and um, just go right ahead and jump right into your story. Just go for it. Okay, well, I have like notes here. I told you I was going to make notes because <laughs> yeah. um, I have a lot of thoughts all the time. So if I ever go off track or something, like, don't feel bad about being like, oh, like, can you elaborate on that or not elaborate? Like, whatever. Um, yeah. I'm not going to be offended by that. Um, I guess I'll start at the beginning because why not? Uh, my name is Abby. Just probably start there. My name is Abby. I'm 19 years old. I'm turning 20 in a month. So almost in my 20s, not quite. I was born in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, and I moved to the North Okanagan in a small town called Vernon when I was four. So I've pretty much grown up in a small town from the age of four to 18, um, which was very, very difficult for me personally. But I know a lot of people really like living in a small town. So I'm not going to bash on small town life um this really wasn't my cup of tea as we'll get into <laughs> but pretty much um I'll just kind of like briefly go over everything and kind of like um stumble back as I get into like what I really want to talk about mm -hmm. uh so in elementary school um let's just start there so like as a kid I was very emotionally reactive um by that that meaning um I was very, very loud. I was very, very like flamboyant. I was very, very happy. Um, if I was upset, you could tell because I would be crying. I would be, you know, very emotionally reactive. If someone made me mad, I'd probably be like, you know, visibly upset. Mm -hmm. um, and that's probably one of my strengths at the end of the day, because my mom always said to me, you know, it's really easy to tell like, what you're thinking because you can read it all over my face. So I guess it is a strength now, but I was probably a really hard kid to keep under control mm -hmm. because yeah, I was quite, um, quite crazy. I would call myself quite crazy and also just like a kid, you know, like running around, had a lot of energy. My parents were always putting me into sports and that sort of thing to kind of keep me like preoccupied. But I had a really happy childhood, actually. My parents ha uh, have been together for 23 years now, almost. Wow. So very, very happy. I have two younger brothers who are two years younger than I am and they're twins, um, you know, really happy childhood all in all. Um, so it, looking back on it, I think most of my challenges have come from a social environment outside of the home, um, which is really difficult to talk about. But yeah, uh, so in elementary school um, was the first time in my life that I became very, very um, hyper aware of what people were thinking. And so that age, I was probably like eight, like eight years old, like six to eight I would say like early elementary uh, because up until that point, you know, it's just me and my family. So you don't really, I guess you do care about what your family thinks about you, but when you're younger, you typically are just being a kid, you know, if you're thinking about yourself and you, you're quite selfish as a kid, it's very natural to be selfish as a child because you're supposed to be. Um, but once I got introduced into school, like it starts to become very aware, especially because kids have no filter. It's like, I don't like you. And then I don't want to play with you or be my, be my best friend, be my boyfriend when you're six. Mm -hmm. So kids are very verbal that way. And I started to be very, very aware of what people were thinking because they would say it out loud. And for some reason, like that just like clicked something in my head, like no one likes me because they're telling me straight to my face, even though we're seven years old. So like, you see how this doesn't really make sense for like looking back on it like oh that doesn't make any sense but when you're a child you're like if that person tells you that they don't like you you're going to be upset mm -hmm. um 
so during that time in my life, I was very, very hyper-focused about people thinking that I was like lazy, whatever, just everything under the sun, lazy, angry. Um, they thought I was crazy. I would just tell myself that. Um, and so I had a lot of anxiety around people at this point. And so that caused me to be, I'm, I'm going to say this very, very nicely. I was a bully back when I was in elementary school in kindergarten, my teacher called me a bully um, because I wouldn't let the kids play with me that wanted to play with me because I was so scared that they would have a negative thought about me, which I can't control someone else's thoughts. Again, when you're eight, you don't know that. <laughs> so I had a lot of anxiety on people that you couldn't really tell just from looking at me, except for the fact that um, I had a stutter and I had a, it was pretty bad actually, um, until about fourth and fifth grade, it was very, very frequent. And a lot of children actually do have like speech impediments and that sort of thing, but they normally grow out of it pretty quickly. Like around the age of six, I think most of them, um, most of the children that do have some speech struggles, they grow out of it quite quickly. Um, but because I had that anxiety about people, uh, it just kind of bubbled up inside me. And I guess it caused me to stutter a lot more. It was actually my fourth grade teacher that emailed my mom and was like, I've been noticing that Abby has some trouble speaking and we want to put her in this uh, program at my elementary school that basically like uh, a speech pathologist for children would come and they would take you out of class once a week for an entire year and you would read books to them just to practice talking and that sort of thing. So that was very difficult to be pulled out of class in fourth and fifth grade. Uh, you know, it's probably not too hard to imagine why, like a teacher comes to the door who's visibly not like a, it's a, visibly a counselor mm -hmm. uh, essentially. And they're like, can I see Abby? And everyone's like, ooh, <laughs> I wonder what for. It's because I couldn't talk good. And I've been struggling a lot with that with my entire life not with the talking part, but just like the, the subtle like emotion that's behind that. Like I wasn't good at talking and I, in my head, it's like, oh, you're not good at talking. Um, so I'm not really good at anything. I'm not good at reading. I'm not good at this um, because of the one thing I wasn't good at naturally was talking. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've gotten better at that. And like through speech pathology, we talked a lot about um, how my, my speech pathologist when I was younger actually told me that a lot of the reasons why I stutter personally is because my mind is like so hyperactive. I'm thinking all the time. I have like seven layers of thought all the time. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll get into intrusive thoughts in a bit, but um, I've always been a big thinker and a very, very quick thinker. So I'll have so many ideas that I just want to spit out into the world. And especially having younger siblings, um, you always have to talk really loudly and talk, you know, very quickly if you actually want to be heard, especially in the home. So at home, I would talk very quickly and talk very fast and talk very loudly so that my parents could, you know, hear me. Because when you have two younger brothers that are fighting for attention also, it's kind of like a battle. So I kind of brought that into the school setting. And so I was a kid that was talking loudly, talking all the time. And of course, when that happens, you stutter uh, for me. So <laughs> that's kind of where that um, sprouted from. But yeah, so pretty much I was in speech pathology for, I think, one to two years. I can't remember exactly. I blacked out a lot of it because it was not very fun. Um, I was a bit of a bully, but essentially, all in all, it was, I was a pretty happy child. I was never happy at school. Ever since I was, like, really little, I never liked school. I never liked math. 
because I would tell myself I wasn't good at it and then I wouldn't do good at it and then I would be even more sad um I was just a sad kid at school but very happy kid outside of school mm-hmm. so that's elementary school in like a nutshell uh in high school that was the rough patch in my life so in my hometown um we didn't have any middle schools so high school started in eighth grade and then went to 12th grade so for five years of my life I had to like oh it was like a rapid process of growth but also a process like where you're from ages of 12 to ages of 18 you're you know you're a teenager you're an adolescent so I had to go through all that in a small town um with a diagnosed disorder which I will get into but also just like knowing that there was hope to get out and I'll explain that briefly but it was just really really rough for me high school was not fun I mean like let's be real high school's probably not the best time of our lives for many of us mm-hmm. but I definitely did not peak in high school like <laughs> high school is just not it for me it was just not fun I had a really rough, rough time with making really really genuine good friendships mm-hmm. um it was really tough for me because again the, so- the social aspect of it and I was still getting teased a little bit for the way that I would talk and I'm still like working on that now like I still need to remind myself to slow down um, because if I speed up, people either can't understand me or I'll stutter. Mm-hmm. So there is that aspect to it. Um, yeah, it was not very fun, but I guess I'll start kind of in eighth grade and I'll work my way up. I did competitive gymnastics from the time I was in sixth grade to eighth grade. And then in ninth grade, I switched to competitive dance. And I did that till the beginning of 11th grade. And this is important for my body and food issues, but... I didn't have really severe anxiety till grade 10. And I started going to therapy for it in grade 11. Um, and then on medication for anxiety and depression, first year university. So that's a rough timeline. Um, I don't, I'm like jumping around a lot, but. That's okay. <laughs> I'm like, and this and this. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess I'll talk with anxiety first because it's what I'm most familiar with. Um, I kind of refer to anxiety a lot in my notes here as like being like that toxic best friend that you've had since like kindergarten, but they're always dragging you down, but you can't ditch them because they're your best friend. So anxiety for me has been like a toxic best friend, like my entire life. It's very much based on intrusive thought for me. So it's constantly telling, like it's like two voices in my head at all times. There's the one voice that's like truly me that tells me to drink my water and go work out and go to school. Very normal thoughts and that sort of thing. Um, And there's the intrusive anxiety voice that's always telling me like, you're not good enough. You're fat, you're ugly. You're never gonna be good at school. You're bad at speaking. You're like, just imagine every single thing that could ever be told to you or about you by someone. And imagine that telling yourself that all the time. So I've pretty much been going through that um, since like eighth grade. The intrusive thoughts got really bad and I had intrusive thoughts in elementary school too just want to bring that up like I would get so upset sometimes that in elementary school I would tell myself that the kids didn't like me they hated me I would go to the bathroom I would cry I'd go back to class um and I got pretty good at that and no one really knows about that because at the time I didn't know it but um I'd actually had panic attacks back in elementary school like I only had a couple probably like under 50 in all of elementary school which is pretty good for me um, but I didn't know that they were panic attacks at the time mm-hmm. because I thought everyone kind of kept it hidden 
but everyone experienced them. So I didn't know that that was unusual, but newsflash, it is unusual for a child to experience panic attacks all the time. <laughs> Just a yeah reminder there. But for anxiety, like I really started experiencing frequent panic attacks once I hit eighth grade. And I got them throughout gymnastics and dance, but those were really good outlets for me at the time because I was able to kind of channel that like anxiety into another emotion like anger or sadness or happiness or joy and able to use that emotion that I channeled the anxiety into as a tool to better myself in my sport. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of sports, I never actually let myself get to a point where I was very, very good because I was always telling myself I wasn't good enough. That's just a side note. Um, I think doing competitive sports with like a mental disorder is very, very difficult, but it can also be a strength if you use it correctly. Um, but in my case, like I never let myself get to a point that I was actually like very good because I told myself I was never going to be that good. So obviously when you tell yourself something like that, mm-hmm. it's never going to happen. Um, one of my quotes is actually, uh, if you can corrupt language, then language can corrupt your thought. So, sorry, if thought can corrupt language and language can corrupt thought. And for me, that's like been a huge one. Um, telling myself my entire life that you're not good enough to do something or that you never will be good enough to do something. So you're not going to be good enough to do that thing um, or be that person. Um, I started experiencing depressive episodes when I was in high school. But again, I didn't know that these were depressive episodes. Um, I thought I was just sad um, to the point where I couldn't go to school or couldn't go to dance um, or couldn't leave my room, you know? Uh, But I didn't know that you shouldn't feel like grief almost without crying for long periods of time. Depression is a weird, a weird thing. I'm still kind of learning about it because I only started experiencing like moderately severe depression in first year university, which is last year. Uh, so I'm kind of still learning about that for myself. Um, but primarily like my thing has been anxiety because I'm just so well acquainted with it at this point. <laughs> it's sad, but it's true. Um, and then in universities, like really when my depression and body dysmorphia and my suit issues kind of took over. But to kind of go back with, with anxiety for a bit in high school, um, by the time I got to grade 12, so I said that I went to therapy when I was in grade 11, diagnosed in grade 10, but then uh, diagnosed by my psychologist when I was in grade 11. So it was actually, I can't remember if it was me or my mom in 10th grade where we were kind of like talking and I was like, I think one of us, uh, said this doesn't feel right like I'm struggling so much just to like live but this doesn't feel quite right um, and at first like I think it was me or my mom I can't remember but I think it's probably me that said like you know I'm just a really exaggerated and dramatic person like I'm probably just being dramatic right like you know everyone everyone has panic attacks and my mom like looks at me and she goes no I've never had one and I was like, okay, like, that's kind of odd, you know, but like, she's also a very, very calm person. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, you know, uh, she might not have had one, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm kind of going off everywhere. My mind is kind of fuzzy, <laughs> but <laughs> if at any point I'm standing, like, I'm just kind of spiraling, just let me know. Uh, <laughs> I'm okay. okay, as long as we're going, okay. But um, I started therapy when I was in 11th grade. That's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. because that therapist was really she very much viewed medication as a last resort 
And I got the vibe from her that she really, really viewed medication as it's only for those of those people with anxiety disorders or those people with depressive disorders or schizophrenic disorders or anything of panic disorders, whatever, that are so severe that they can't function at all. So she told me that like my first session and pretty much said without saying it, medication is off the table for you because it's not severe. It was severe. Um, but I didn't get that, what do you call it? I, I didn't get that. Um, I didn't have someone to tell me that it was severe enough to where I actually needed like serious help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay, I'm just, I'm just um, I've never said that out loud, but. I didn't want to get choked up. Like, it's, no, it's totally okay. It just it literally proves your strength. Like you sharing this part of your story, one hundred percent proves your strength. So, trust me, I'm so weird. <laughs> have as much time as you possibly need. Like, there's no pressure. There's nothing. Take as many deep breaths as you need. As much time. <laughs> I'm like not breathing at all. I need to like. <laughs> anyways she was not she was not um she was really really good for um cbt cognitive behavioral therapy at the time Mm -hmm. so we're still in high school at this point she was really really good for um cbt which is like for me it was working on like breathing exercises for anxiety and like um she would give me worksheets all the time about i would bring them to school i'd be sitting like this in class with my like little paper and she's like, okay, like with your work, with your work paper, like whenever you have an anxious thought or an intuitive thought, or you want to have a panic attack, like write down everything that you're feeling and then come back and we'll talk about it. And so she was really, really proactive. And I visited her like every week for, I think about, I want to say like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so she was really, really good for coping anxiety techniques so I will give her that but she told me some things that I really didn't need to hear about medication Um, which just makes me so mad but (laughs) yeah so what I learned from that period for sure probably sounds like I'm gonna cry I'm I'm not crying I hope (laughs) that people like only like the YouTube audience can see me right now like I'm not crying (laughs) But I sound like I am. I promise I'm not. I'm just like a, <laughs> I'm a wobbly voice person. Um, yeah. So I will say that because of her and her techniques, I learned so much about anxiety that I got to the point where I was so, so good. I was so good. I was the best person on the planet at identifying every single every single anxious feeling. So she pretty much gave me like a scale. She's like, okay, Abby, you're gonna make a scale in her head. Okay, this is a scale. It goes from one to 10. And a 10 is a full-fledged panic attack. Like you're on the floor and you can't move. And I was like, great. Okay, one is like that little that little feeling of stress in your head that tells you study for a test. Oh, I'm, I have a test in like a week, for example. Oh, I have a test in a week. Like that's like a one. It's like, it's in the back of your head but you know it's there. Um, side note, stress and anxiety, you're not the same thing, but uh, but like that's kind of like what a one represents. 
it's like not severe. It's very, very much like functioning. Like you can get on with your day. A 10 is debilitating. Um, so a five, a five or a six is where I can no longer do what I need to do. Like I can no longer go to work. I can no longer go to dance. I can no longer uh, do school. I need to just do my um, breathing techniques and do my therapy tech, uh, worksheets and that sort of thing. I got, got a five and a six because I'm no longer able to function. But up until a five, like up until a four, I would say, I am experiencing anxiety. I'm actually experiencing it right now while we're filming this. So it's like very easy to like target. I'm at a three right now. So it's like the shakiness, it's the breathing, it's my heart rate. Like I have a heart rate monitor, so I can like check it all the time, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty, pretty handy for that. But um, I got so good at being able to like tell myself, like I'm at a three right now, I'm at a five right now. And at a six is when I start crying. <laughs> and then a seven, it gets worse. And eight, it gets worse, nine, it gets worse. 10, it's a full on panic attack. Mm-hmm. So I'm so good and so able to pick apart the progression of a panic attack, but also the um, like my anxiety in general. So that is very, very important for anyone with anxiety. You should be able to um, eventually, you might not be able to, if you just have begun this journey of healing, you might not be able to recognize this right away, but eventually you'll become so accustomed to it. It just feels so normal, which is quite, quite sad actually thinking about it. But like, I've, again, I've known anxiety my entire life. So it's not sad to me. It's just a way of life. Um, yeah, so I got so good at like pointing out like on a scale, like what I was at all the time, which was so useful at school, especially um, because I was able to to think like, oh, I'm at a six. And then I would just start crying and someone would be like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, it's fine. Like I'm at a six, like I just need to calm down. It's fine. They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, well, you're not okay. Um, yeah, school's rough, didn't have fun. Obviously I think like, there was a lot of high school that I don't want to get into, but it was just not very fun. I didn't feel like myself at all. I think it was being in a small town. I felt very, very like confined and very, very trapped. So in grade 11 and 12, I started to realize that university is the ticket I have out that is so possible and so achievable. So I thought to myself, this is so easy. If I can just go to university, I can go literally anywhere I want with a purpose that that being school mm-hmm. and start this new life for myself and like that was the hope at the end of the tunnel um for me so that's like what kept me going I just remember like mid breakdown and like you know pre-calc 11 I did cry my eyes out just thinking to myself you know there's that hope at the end of the tunnel like this is why you're working so hard so although I was struggling in school um not not with my grades but with like myself um I had that hope like this is this is creating a better me it's not a better me right now. Like, obviously I'm not good right now, but it's going to make me so much stronger and such a better character in the future. But I need to go through this period of just suffering. And the way, like, I'm really, really happy that I suffered for five years because I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, I would rather experience everything than nothing. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was so important and so, like, vital to my personal growth um, as a person and in my character and in my strengths. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not crying. I just like can't breathe. So yeah, grade 12, 
oh, uh, ah, not a fun year for me. Um, I'll just give like one brief example of a time that anxiety really, really just like, I guess I want to say made its mark on high school. And this is, this is a good picture for like, if you're curious about what anxiety was like for me in high school, I'm gonna give you a good example. This is the morning of my graduation. This is my favorite story ever to tell about my anxiety. Okay, it's the morning of my graduation. I wake up and my mom had bought me this beautiful grad dress. And it's a tradition here in BC. Like, I think, I think pretty much like everywhere in North America, all the girls wear their pretty dresses and all the boys wear their nice suits. And you all take photos together and it's a great time. And then night goes a party and it's great. Super much, super fun. All your friends are there. It's like a big hurrah, you know? It's still supposed to be fun and like a celebration. I woke up, I put on my dress, I looked in the mirror, I had a panic attack. <laughs> I hated the way that I looked in my dress. So I started crying, right? Obviously. And it was like probably level seven because I was able to like walk around my room still at this point and I was sobbing my eyes out. My mom runs downstairs. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, I hate this. I hate this dress. I hate my body. Like I'm not, I'm not going to school. She's like, Abby, like you, you can't not go to school today. You're graduating today. And just for reference in grade 12, I was maybe going to school like two full days a week. Two to, three, two to three full days um, because I couldn't physically be at school for longer than that. I would, I would literally be driving to school in grade 12 and I'd have to pull over to have like a panic attack. And then I would keep driving or I'd be at school, I'd have a panic attack and then I would just go home, like first period. So that's pretty much what my life looked like at this point. And so I wake up, this is back to prom graduation and I was like nope not not going to school not getting my photos done she's like Abby you literally have a grad date that's waiting for you at the school for pictures like you're just gonna you're you're wearing your dress that I bought you you're not gonna you have to (laughs) graduate like you can't not go to school today like you could not go to school literally for the rest of the year and you have but not today so I was like nope I'm not going in this dress so I literally like went to my closet I'm like digging around frantically and I find a jumpsuit. I had a silk like brown jumpsuit. Go on my Instagram, you can find me in it, whatever. I wore that jumpsuit to my photos. And the funny thing about that is like all the girls expected me to be wearing my dress because we had posted about it on our Facebook group chat for dresses and prom. Hmm. But I had shown up in a completely different outfit and everyone's like, Abby, are you okay? Like, this is not the dress you're supposed to wear. No, I was like, I can't do it. I just look awful in this dress. And they're like, okay, you're going insane. Um, and it was really funny to me. Anyways, I had two other panic attacks that day. One of them was when I was in my cap and gown and I was about to walk, on, walk out to go get my diploma. And the other one was after it was all over. And I just kind of like had this moment. Um, it's hard to talk about panic attacks, I think, because it's so like emotionally binding. Mm-hmm. Um, uh you're you are bound by your emotion um your memories latch onto emotion as thought like how many times do you remember being bored in front of the tv not often how many times do you remember having a panic attack it's way more frequent to remember those high emotion circumstances mm-hmm. so it, it's like that's mostly what my mem- memories are made up of unfortunately but that's okay um so that was not very fun that's pretty much all of high school 
I was scrambling. Let's go on to university. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but like by this point, I had stopped therapy and I moved to Victoria. I was in university. I was living it up. And I was so good at this point by at conquering my anxiety, like at controlling it. I could, I could sense a panic attack coming the day before it actually happened. Like it was insane. Like I would be able to wake up and be like, oh, I'm like, I'm at risk for a panic attack today. So I would be so aware and so ready for it to happen. So I could just control it and breathe and get through it. I became so accustomed, so strong. Um, but because I had conquered anxiety, I think that I felt so like on top of the world. I was like, I got this under control. This is fine. And then depression just hit me like a bust. It happened around November of 2019 mm-hmm. till around January of 2020. And that's really when um, I hit like my all-time low. And anxiety is funny because it's like, you're kind of like a little snake. You're high and you're low and you're plummeting and you're surging, but in depression is just like, you're on all, like you're just low all the time. And I was in university at this point and I was on campus living in the dorm rooms and I couldn't go to class. I couldn't leave my room except for to go to the bathroom and maybe brush my teeth if we were lucky. Um, and I couldn't leave my room to go work out. Uh, and that's troubling to me looking back on it because of the same period of time from je- like around uh, September, 2019 to around uh, April of 2020. I had a very, very unhealthy relationship with food in my body. It was to the point where I would only eat like kale salads and like quinoa. And if I ate a cookie, I would have to go walk 4K. It would be 4K per cookie. Um, That was on top of the 5K I I had to do every day. Just like my mind told me I had to do it. And then, so I would only go to bed to go to the gym, go for a walk or go get my kale. which is kind of kind of funny to like think about I was going to bed for kale it's not funny but like in my mind it's funny (laughs) I don't know why but obviously if if I could go back in time I'd be like girl eat that cookie and don't walk after like (laughs) you don't need to walk after eating a cookie are you kidding me okay but I had a really bad relationship with food in my body at this point like I was at the gym all the time um I was at an all-time low and through brief periods like where my depressive episodes like were shortened and I had like a little moment of freedom I would just go to the gym and I would work out and then I would go for a run and then I would eat my salad and then I'd go to bed so it was a very unhealthy relationship and I lost 15 pounds from grade 12 and at the time I didn't know it but I had also like lost other body functions that you're not supposed to lose I lost my period for six months my hair was thinning um it was just not, not healthy for so many reasons, like internally and externally, my body was just like shutting down and mentally my, my brain was just like fried. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a combination though, of moving away from my parents and my support system to a new school, but also because I was finally like moving out and I was like on my own. So I had so much freedom to kind of discover who I finally was, but out of a small town. And that was a huge blessing. Cause I really needed that space to grow and to learn and being on my own in a dorm room, even if that's on your own, um, I had a single room and I was just so excited to learn and to grow in this university setting. 
um, that I kind of like developed bad habits. Like I took this opportunity to grow as a new person and I took that as being an extremely healthy person to the point where I would like just make myself so physically and mentally exhausted. So it was not healthy. And I wish I had developed more balanced habits back then. I mean, I have now, I'm okay now, but it was just, I took it so far and I'm still not healthy. Um, especially like being away from like my mom and that was really tough because my mom and I are like the, the best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, she knows me so well. And I think that like the hardest thing about like, especially having like anxiety and depression and all this, I just remember like calling her on the phone. Oh. Okay. This is like back in December of 2019. So at this point I was like, 15 pounds lighter than when she had dropped me off in September. I was healthy um, by eating salads and walking 20,000 steps in a day. I was not doing good in school because <laughs> I couldn't focus on school. Um, and I called her and I was like, I think for, word for word, I said, you know, like no one asked me to be here. Like, I didn't get a choice to be here. Like, I feel like I'm being forced to live against my own will. And it just sucks that you love me so much because it would make my choice to live so much easier. Which is, like, so dark. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that was my ultimate low. Now now that we've covered that, um, my mom was, like, obviously, when she heard that, she was, like, shocked, obviously. Mm -hmm. Because on both sides of my family my mom's and my dad's there is no history of mental illness so when she heard this she was like oh shit you know like there's something seriously wrong and she set me up for a point an appointment with my um with the doctor back in vernon so we like went to the the doctor together and i had a bunch of tests done she gave me one for ocd she gave me one for um bipolar and she gave me one for anxiety, depression. And she's like, okay, so the good news is you don't have bipolar, you don't have OCD, but you do have depression and you do have anxiety. And I was like, yeah, I know about anxiety, but I didn't know that I, I think I didn't want to identify in myself that I had depression. Mm-hmm. So for her to tell me that it was kind of like, great, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Like, I didn't want to actually like acknowledge that I did, but I did. And my mom just kind of like looked at me and she just like looked so sad. <laughs> I think that's the hardest part about all of this is like seeing like her reaction to it because she's she's never experienced anxiety or depression or like my grandpa had alcoholism, but that's it's that's different than um that that is a I would consider that like a mental illness but addiction, but I wouldn't consider that like uh, similar to anxiety or, or depression you know they're I think all mental disorders are so unique in their own way um which is why we should treat them all differently obviously but she just wasn't used to it and all my cousins and um all my aunts and uncles like no one's ever experienced like depression or anxiety like I have so this came as quite of a shock and she, she told me this recently she's like you know I, I wish I had just noticed like the signs sooner to kind of like get you into help sooner. Mm-hmm. 
And I was just like, that is just the hardest thing to hear, I think, like as a kid, because I don't want her to feel like it's her fault. You know, like it's my mom, like, oh, like she's the one person that I just wouldn't want to put this burden on. Anyways, that's a really long version of my life. Uh, me emotionally rambling. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much a good sum. In second year university, I've been, well, I guess I should talk about this year. So recently I've been struggling really hard with uh, my eating behaviors. And so I've been on this, this is really tough to admit, but in the past, like, eight or so months like with COVID like let's be honest it's been so tough I've been on this like binge purge cycle with food which is actually pretty common after some research because uh, last year if we remember I was into this like uh, super healthy lost a lot of weight restrictive diet so obviously when you restrict you're going to give in you're going to binge and that led to purge so it's kind of like this chain reaction which is interesting, but now I'm like learning more about it. And I'm like, oh, this makes sense. And a lot of that does come, my problems with my body and with food do come from competitive gymnastics. Not so much dance, but there is that pressure. Both gymnastics, like being 11 to 13, that age group when I was like end of elementary school to early high school, that was really when it was tough uh, because you're an adolescent. And you're in a competitive sport that tells you that you're supposed to be skinny. So how do you not come out of that with like some issue with your body? So looking back on that now, it's like, I, I still get kind of angry that I'm dealing with this like eating disorder, if you will, um, cycle from when I was 13 and I'm almost 20. So it's like, oh, like it's kind of annoying and like makes me angry, honestly, because it's like, Oh, like I, I'm so mad that like I was told things as an 11 year old about my body that I should never have been told. But again, being a girl on a competitive sport that like fascinates over the idea of like a skinny little twig and you're supposed to look like that. And then I don't look like that anymore. It's just, a, it's like fundamentally like built into my head that I'm supposed to look a certain way. And with my obsession with food, especially comes from gymnastics. And I will call them out <laughs> because telling a child when you're 13 and you're, you know, at gymnastics doing cardio for four to eight hours a day for six days a week, you're telling that child that they shouldn't have more than eight almonds for a snack. Like, yeah, I'm going to call you out. You know, that's not healthy because not because like now look at me I'm almost like restrictive binge cycle like obviously that's not healthy long term and so yeah I'm mad about that <laughs> to kind of rein it back in a little bit for the past like two months I've been like on this very very large I guess since January so 2021 yeah uh two months that's the same thing but I've been on this like cycle of just like really like okay this is gonna sound really crazy dating myself and growing myself and challenging myself in a really, really healthy way. So I've been intermittent fasting, which I've actually heard you're not supposed to do if you have like problems with food, it can actually make it worse. But for me, yeah, I've been on this like little um, self-discovery thing recently and I, I'm like doing a lot better. I've been taking medication now for about a year 
almost coming up to a year in July. Um, I'm able to work. I have a job. I'm able to do school. I do four university courses and I'm working now three to four days a week. I'm living on my own. Um, I am, I have a healthy relationship with food, which is insane. I have a healthy relationship with working out. Again, insane. Never thought I would have these things. And I've been journaling every day and I've been reading self-help books. And it's just like, I'm doing all these things because I reached out and I got help when I did. And I'm so happy that A, I'm on medication and B, that I reached out for help. Like, it's just so, so important. I think everyone can benefit from help. I think obviously, you know that, Um, but I do really, like, really truly believe that everyone should have a counselor at least once in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so important um, in nurturing for yourself, but yeah, that's a pretty big sum of everything. Uh, if you have any questions for me, you can just like fire away because I know that I've been rambling. So I think I'm like getting lost, but. <laughs> no, no, that, that <laughs> you just, you leave me speechless, like actually. And um, <laughs> I like, I don't know. I, I think especially when like, you talk about that moment when you called your mom and like, that's something that hit home really heavy for me as well, because um, obviously like, if you've heard my story and for the people that have, I had like a similar experience where I actually flew home and sat down with my parents and had that conversation. And like that conversation is like, that is the worst conversation you can ever have. Like that's me tearing up now. Like this is all your fault. I'm kidding. Um, I, yeah, like it's it's, so hard. It's so hard. And especially because people don't like, they expect you to be so strong all the time. Mm. And it's just so difficult. Like when you tell them that you're not, it's like, it's the worst, it's the worst feeling. And for a lot of my life, like I kind of kept like my diagnosis very, very like hidden and personal. And only within the past like year, I've been really, really vocal about it. And people ask, I'm like, yeah, like I have anxiety disorder. I have generalized anxiety disorder. I was diagnosed with GAD when I was like in 11th grade. I have depression, diagnosed depression. Like I'm very, very open about it now because I think it's so important that it's okay if you're not okay. I think it's important that you know that you're not okay because then you can, you're on the first part of your path to getting help and recovering as best you can. Like, I don't think you can ever fully heal, Mm -hmm. but you can definitely become stronger. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like, like I can function now Mm -hmm. I'm a functioning member of society and like I wasn't always that and that's okay that's okay that I wasn't always in a healthy spot with food that's okay that I struggle with panic attacks that's okay that I struggle with depression it's okay because look at me now I would not be where I am now if I didn't go through that right and that's so important because even if you feel guilty about I don't know this shouldn't cause guilt within myself, but it does like telling like my family, I feel like it's putting a burden on them being like, you know, like I struggle with anxiety. Like I don't want that to come off as I'm just trying to get attention Mm -hmm. or I want you to pity me or like cater to my needs. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm telling you because it just feels so good to me to get off my chest. And like, I have to be selfish and put my mental health first. Like you got, you got to be selfish to it, to a degree. And put yourself first and if that means 
maybe not doing school for a bit or taking some time off work um, or, or going home for a month to see your family during COVID. Like, I think that that is so important for your, for you as long as you're being safe. But yeah, um, it's so important, especially with like telling your family and stuff. Like it was really difficult for me because no one in my family has like, like I said, no one has depression, no one has anxiety. Um, I first asked my mom when my first therapist was like, hey, like, you know, uh, is this like a, is there a family history of this? And I was like, I don't know. So I went home and I asked my dad and he's like, oh yeah, I had test anxiety when I was in university. And I was like, great. I've been having test anxiety since I was in fourth grade. <laughs> so <laughs> like, I don't know. It was just, they, they couldn't, I was scared they couldn't understand. And um, to a degree, like they won't be able to, but they love you. And I think that that love is enough. Mm -hmm. They don't have to completely understand if they just love you, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know even for, for me, I think the hardest thing when I finally decided that I was going to step up and share my like story to my parents and share all the struggles that I've kind of encountered. And even since then, like when I share things to people, the biggest thing that I found is it's scary in the fact that I never wanted people to look at me any differently. Like I never wanted them to treat me mm -hmm. any because the image that they have of me beforehand, before I tell them is one image. And then I never wanted it to change in a negative way after I told mm -hmm. them. I never wanted them to hold back from making jokes. I never wanted them to hold back from saying certain things or from asking me to do certain stuff or mm -hmm. bringing up different topics. Like I never wanted anybody to look at me any differently. And that was the biggest, I remember actually when I told my parents, I like, I told them and then before they could even say a word, I was like, but don't treat me any differently. Like I'm still the exact same person. And I was like, yeah, you're like, they're like, you're like, yeah, no, please, like, please don't tip yeah. around me. Like I'm the same person. Yeah. And yeah, it, yeah. And that's like, the, that's the hard thing is that some people will get it and a lot of people will especially like a lot of like yeah like you said not everyone's gonna understand not everyone's mm -hmm. gonna know what you're actually going through but they'll be there for you if they care about you and they yeah. genuinely care mm -hmm. for you they will be there for you and they will help you in any which way and they're not going to treat you any differently if anything the only way that they treat you differently is with more love and more care and more respect. And that's, I yeah. think that's like the beauty of it. And that's why now this is so great is us actually speaking up and sharing our stories and sharing these experiences. So for the one person right now, or the five people or 10 people, however many people are struggling with this exact thing and finding their voice, like struggling to speak up and share their story to their close friends and family this is their maybe mm -hmm. this is their ticket this is their ticket to get there this is, that, this is that motivator that motivation which is like it's pretty spectacular and I mean even just from your story and seeing you share where you're at now as opposed to even one year ago from today like it's remarkable it's it like it's incredible. insane and it's like it's happened so fast like you don't expect, like, I don't want to say recovery, but you don't expect to, to be able to function this well, this quickly. Mm -hmm. um, at least I didn't, right? So it, it, like, it can happen, like, there's hope. 
And for me, it's always been like that glimmer of hope. It's like, you're going to be okay. And um, I just have one more note here. If, if anyone's listening to this and you're like, I don't know if I should reach out for help or how I do that, or even if I want to, the biggest piece of advice I could give to someone is you are not weak for wanting help. You are not weak for reaching out for help. You are not weak. You are not weak for needing medication. You are not weak for needing therapy. You are not weak or weak-minded for that matter for reaching out to friends or family and saying, I am not okay. You are not weak. You're actually strong and you're smart for doing so because you are able to understand that you need this help to improve your own quality of life. You are not weak. You are very strong and you're very capable and you know that you are deep down because you wouldn't reach out if you, you know, a lot of people don't reach out and it hurts me because I just like see so much like sadness. And I think a lot of people like, they get like, I don't know, my, my dad, he was older when he, um, he had a, he had test anxiety, right? So I don't think he ever actually truly reached out for help with that. And so I think that deep down, he still kind of carries like a little bit, bit of that with him. And I think it's so important that if you want to reach out for help, that you, you don't have to go straight to, to, to the counselor's office. If you want to just tell a friend, you know, say, hey, Bill, you know, I want to tell you something. And Bill's like, for sure, bud, go ahead. You know, I think it's really important that we kind of, we kind of have to be selfish a little bit with taking care of ourselves because if we're not then there's no improvement in our mental well-being and it just and this doesn't just apply to like mental disorders it applies to your mental health in general like COVID's affected a lot of people and you kind of have to take days for yourself where maybe if you had never experienced like a mental illness before uh to kind of take a day for yourself and just really dig deep I guess and kind of help yourself through it like have a self-care day and reach out to your mom reach out to your friend and say I'm not doing good because of this and I'm not feeling okay and you're not a weak person for allowing yourself to get to that point of depression or anxiety or panic attack you're not a weak person for letting yourself get there and I thought I was because I was I thought I was so dramatic for having panic attacks like three panic attacks a day in grade 12 I thought that was like I thought I was being so dramatic and I had such a weak mind because I couldn't control it. And like, I had three panic attacks a day, you know, like what kind of person does that? Like a weak, a weak-minded person. No, that is not a weak-minded person. That is just a person who needs help. Mm-hmm. So I think that we need to start like rewiring our minds to like, just like automatically, like when, if I don't even know what I'm saying, but like if automatically like when we think we have like a dark thought or like a negative thought or an intrusive thought about ourselves or about the world we kind of need to rewire that to being like this is a good time for me to reach out and get help oh I had a dark thought today that's okay this is a good sign that I haven't talked to my mom in a while about how I'm feeling or haven't talked to my therapist in a while about how I'm feeling like it's a process mm-hmm. I think that we all should like it's, we can all improve on that like I can improve on that personally and like that can be simple as writing writing it down how, how you feel and like everyone can everyone's affected by mental health we all have a brain so we all have a mind and one plays off the other so it's so important mm-hmm. even for like 
for people that are looking to reach out and stuff. I know for myself, <laughs> I didn't just jump into this big professional help thing right away. Like I wasn't like, yeah, you know what? I want help today. I'm going to go book an appointment. I'm going to walk in there by myself. I'm going to be high, like high and heavy and proud. And <laughs> that's like nine times out of 10. Like that's not the case. Like for the people yeah. that are like that, like I applaud them, like congratulations. But Oh, but that is so rare. It was so like my mom. It was my mom who actually first signed me up for my first therapy appointment. Yeah. Right. So, but, but that being said, it was me who went to her and was like, I think I need professional help. Mm-hmm. So it, you, you certainly, I think most cases, if not people walking in being like, I am going to solve X, Y, and Z today with my counselor. A lot of the time it doesn't look like that. It might look like a friend saying, Hey, have you thought that maybe you might have, you know, maybe you've been experiencing some anxiety or some depression and maybe that's like the first like key in this puzzle of you on this journey to get help it doesn't happen all in one day Rome was not built in a day you know like it's a process and even if it's a family like a family member reaching out for you um which in all cases like it it doesn't that doesn't work for everyone I know some families don't work like that um at the end of the day therapy should be your your choice uh and social medication, but I'm just gonna say like both have changed my life. That being said, everyone's different. Like if you don't wanna go on medication, by all means, you are not. I'm not gonna sit here and praise medication for making my life super like able to function. I'm not gonna sit here and say that because therapy also got me to this point as well. So just keep that in mind. Like I'm not just gonna sit here and be like, you only need medication and you're gonna be good to go. Like it's been a, it's been a fight. It's been a fight with therapy. It's been a fight with myself. It's been a fight with, with medication and like accepting that I need it mm-hmm. because I'm a strong person, not because I'm a weak person. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I even like, I love how you say that just like everyone is different with it. And I mean, like I'm different from you with it. Like I, I have tried medication and maybe it wasn't the right medication for me. I don't know, but I personally, I didn't like it. I didn't like the way it made me feel. And then mm-hmm. I also didn't like knowing, or I, I, I guess I more so just always thought that I could get better in a different way. And like, I was like trying to, I mean, even since that moment, I decided that I've always been trying to like stretch myself in different ways and um, really better myself through different avenues and really like test out all these different types of professionals, all these different tips of advice from people. And even from all the people that come on the podcast, like they always have good tips of advice or they always Mm -hmm. be little things or I always learn like, Oh my gosh, like I've learned so much from everyone that's come on the podcast. And it's like, I like, I always say this, but everyone always thinks like, I'm just here to kind of share other stories, but for me, it's also a really good way to kind of tune in with myself, tune in with my past and also gain a lot of information on mm-hmm. ways to better myself and some of the things that I go through. And I think that's the cool part about it all is that you're sharing real life experiences and you're showing the things that you've gone through, but you're also showing the steps that you've taken to get to where you are now. And I always even just say like, not everyone that comes on the podcast has this massive success story. Like we're not like Mm -hmm. even myself, like 
I host the podcast, but I'm not running this massive success story right now. Like I'm not here living all lavish and no, like nothing's going wrong in my brain. Like I always have mental health struggles that interfere with my life and things that step in front of me that honestly, some days I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to conquer this. And then the next day I'm like, wow, somehow we did it. And it's somehow we did it. (laughs) It's those little steps. And I mean, anything that I can gain from people and any like for the viewers, anything that they gain from the people that come on and share their podcasts. I mean, it all is so beneficial and it's so helpful. And I don't think everyone that comes on the podcast really realizes that, but it, it truly changes people's lives. Like I have had Mm -hmm. so many people reach out and say like this podcast has changed my life and it's not me that's doing this because I've shared one story of mine and that's it. Like that's where my journey stops. Like for everyone else that comes on and shares their story, that's when it's proof that they're helping change mm-hmm. lives. Like they're helping people step up and see that it's okay to talk and that it's okay to normalize this. And that's the beauty of even the struggle create strength team. Like when this is announced, it's not, it's not to announce like this team where, we all like go out and do all this like great stuff. Like, yes, that is obviously the goal. But yeah, that's, that's the goal, so, but. <laughs> but it's more so it's building a community and just really being there for other people and um, allowing like kind of that first step for people to take. So it's not that the pressure of going into the professional's office and seeking help. It's more so mm-hmm. just like reaching out and be like, like you, they don't even have to confess that they have, mental health struggles it's just more so no, like of course not. what did how did you get through this moment in your life and then it's like you have a yeah. conversation and that's all it is it's a conversation and that's what mm-hmm. that's what started it for me I'm sure that's what started it for you it's what starts oh, it yeah most people right and it's so important just to like it's the little things mm-hmm. because not everyone will feel a not everyone will feel comfortable reaching out to even their friends at first mm-hmm. ab- about something or they might not feel like they need to reach out they just want to ask a question or they're curious about maybe maybe they're curious about depression or what it's like to have panic disorder maybe they're curious like what does a panic attack look like for you or like there's so many questions that I feel like we've stigmatized as being like oh you you shouldn't talk about binge eating because it's an it's it's an ugly eating disorder like you shouldn't talk about it but what if you have questions about it or like how did you overcome it how do you have a healthy relationship with food from a point of binging and purging, like you need to ask those questions to get an answer. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I like this platform a lot because people can ask like those difficult questions from people that have actually had them, not yeah. just a therapist saying like, all you have to do is intuitively <laughs> eat. Like there's a, there's a difference, yeah. right? And that's so important to me. So yeah. <laughs> no, 100%. 100%. I know like I guarantee you we could continue on this path and no, talk. No, we have to like, so long um okay so with that being said what would be kind of like that that big tip of advice that you would have for somebody that's struggling or may struggle in the future oh if i had to give one piece of advice it would definitely be to be okay this is going to sound really cheesy you have to be kind to yourself mm-hmm. and give yourself some grace at the same time really dig deep to, if you're having a really tough time in your life, I really, really, really would encourage you to reach out to a friend or to a family member 
-hmm. and it doesn't have to be something big it doesn't have to be I'm having suicidal thoughts it can be something small like I'm having a tough time or hey just how's your day going like just reaching out I think is so important Mm -hmm. and we don't talk about it enough and I think that's it's a big issue but if you're struggling with something I think the biggest takeaway is you've got to give yourself some grace be be kind to yourself especially if you're struggling with anxiety like those intrusive thoughts are so deadly and so intrusive that's what they're called that and I think that if I had to tell my younger self struggling with anxiety I would just tell myself you have to be kinder to yourself you have to give yourself some grace and also like in the best way possible you kind of just got to let it like run off your back sometimes. Mm-hmm. Got to let the water run off your back. You can't take everything so literally. And saying that to someone with a mental illness can be kind of, it doesn't always hit. Mm-hmm. It's like telling someone with depression just to get up and go for a run or drink water. It doesn't always, it doesn't work all the time, but I just like, I wish I could just shake, shake my younger self and just be like, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You're such a strong person. It's going to be okay. You just got to get through this next week, this next month, this next year, and it's going to be okay. Just give yourself some kindness and reach out. Yeah. yeah. No, I yeah, I love that. And I mean, I'm just going to kind of go off that a little bit here, but no, I, even for myself, like there's been so many things in my life and even like in recent past. And I just, I look at myself and I'm like, why why do you let this bother you? Like, why does it bother you? Like, and then, and, but then that's when you, that's when you like get way too in your head with it. And then that's exactly when you almost need to reground yourself with that. Like be kind to yourself, like really be kind to yourself. Like you're doing great stuff in your life. Like you are moving forward in a positive way. Like you're not Mm -hmm. very healthy. Yeah. Like you're not a failure in what, like whatsoever. So you're making the right steps. You're doing stuff like the fact mm-hmm. that you got up today is a win. Like, and that's the it, little yeah. thing. Like focusing on those little things. I mean, that's something that always comes up a lot in conversations that I have with people. And it's, it's always focusing on the little things. Like the little things make the biggest difference. And for so mm-hmm. long, I was always like, I just never fully understood until there was days when I was like, oh my gosh, like it is a struggle to get up or it's a struggle to go have a shower. It's a struggle to brush your teeth. And then it's like, it's such a little thing, but if you can accomplish it, it's like pat myself on the back. Yeah, it's the the little things, especially like when you're like, you're in a place that the little things, like a place that you're so low, those little things count so much more, Mm -hmm. right? And like, now that I'm in a really healthy, healthy place now, it's like my goals are so much bigger. But I can tell you right now, if I was in this place this time last year, it would look a lot different than it is now, right? So now my goals are bigger and I give myself pats in the back for larger goals. But for someone going for something a lot harder right now, I would just, again, it's those little things. I would say, honestly, reward yourself for drinking an entire bottle of water. Reward yourself for going for a walk. Like it's the tiny things that can really like kind of spark something within you. That's like that hope, you know? Like, like you did it, you drank your water and you went for a walk. And like, that's a spark of like, you're doing it, you're healing. Or even if you're not like on your path of recovery, maybe you're, you're in the depths of it. Maybe those like little things like waking up in the morning, taking a shower and brushing your teeth mm-hmm. all one after the other. Maybe that is just a little spark of like, you have hope, you're strong. You got up this morning. Mm-hmm. Like that's so important. Mm-hmm. 100%. And if you had... 
or I guess more so, do you have a quote that you've kind of lived by, shaped your life off of, or something that's just impacted your life in any which way? Oh, yeah. I have two here. One of them is mental illness isn't linear. Mm. It doesn't go in a straight line. Mm -hmm. It often doesn't play out the way that you want it to in your mind. You don't just get, it's like having a virus. You don't just get sick and then wake up the very next day and you feel 100% better. No, you don't. You get sick and you lie in bed for a week and then you slowly get better, but you still have a cough for a month. Like it's the same thing with mental illness. It's not linear. Um, and that's okay. You got to, again, treat yourself with kindness because of that. And the second, uh, the second quote I have here is, I think I said it earlier, and if thought can corrupt language, then language can corrupt thought. And for intrusive thoughts and for anxiety, that has been critical. If you are telling yourself that you are a failure, you are fat, you are um, X, Y, Z, insert here, then you will become that. But if you tell yourself, like even if you're able to identify those thoughts, it's so, so important. But if, even if you are able to just um, tell yourself, yeah, I got up today, I'm a great person. That's like one more good thought in your head that will shape your life. It, it's so small, but it's so important. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I, I think so many people need to kind of do that in their life. I think we're, we're so wrapped up in what everyone else is doing with their lives. And we're so in our heads about where somebody may be or what somebody did on this day. And then we look at our day and be like, oh, well, I didn't do that. Rather than looking at it and it's like, oh, well, I did this, this, and this. And yeah, maybe it wasn't the craziest thing ever, but at least I did something and I didn't yeah. do nothing. I didn't lay in bed and sulk all day. Like I got up, even if it was for 10 yeah. minutes, like I got up, I did it, yeah. accomplished something. And I think that's the thing is just really really acknowledging what you accomplish and mm -hmm. being proud. Even if it's something that you think is silly to be proud over, it's the fact that you even think that mm -hmm. it's something that could be considered an accomplishment is the fact that it is an accomplishment. Like that's, yeah, yeah. That's really it's, 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 it's the way that you talk to yourself, right? If you believe that that will be an accomplishment to get out of bed in the morning, then that is an accomplishment, especially when you're struggling with depression. Exactly. Like, so important so important and it's not talked about enough especially with COVID and everyone going through like depressive episodes right now like I know it's it's tough and like even those like little things like doing a two minute five minute home workout it's those little things right and like like you like you said it's so important exactly if mm -hmm. uh so I guess to kind of fully wrap this whole entire podcast up but um, if somebody does want to reach you, where could they reach you in the meantime until this whole struggle creates strength team is announced? <laughs> um, you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram is Abby P Wessels, like blood vessels, but with a W. And you can also reach me on, I don't really use Snapchat, but I think that's Abby underscore Wessels on Snapchat. You can also reach me at, trying to think if I have any others. Um, if you want to send me an email, I'm not sure if anyone does that anymore, but my email is just abbytwessels at gmail.com. So you can send me a message, send me like a question. I'm, like I said, I'm very open. If you want to ask me anything about recovery or about my personal uh, struggles, you can go ahead and do that. If you want to reach out for help, I can send you some websites that um, have really helped me or some like podcasts that I've been listening to. Like 
you know, it's at any of those locations, uh, you can feel free to drop me a DM. I'll answer. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, honestly, I guess that's our, that's our podcast for the day. And I, again, I cannot thank you enough. And everything that you shared today was just incredible. And your story, everything that you possess, the courage, the strength, the vulnerability, everything like you are by far, like you identify exactly what struggle creates strength is and what it wants to represent. So thank you for that. I like Thanks amazing. for having me. Of course. This is like so nice to come on and like share like a little bit of my story. It's so nice. Thank, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, again, like this is going to help so many people and whether or not people reach out, it's just a matter of knowing that it is going to be embedded in their minds forever because this is a story that again is going to help so many people i really hope so thank you so much for having me lucas of course no problem it was awesome talking to you thanks so much for listening to another episode of struggle creates strength i hope everyone enjoyed abby's story and i encourage you to reach out to her and have some vulnerable conversations with her if you want to reach out to me or come on the podcast you're more than welcome to at Struggle Create Strength on both Instagram and Facebook. You can also reach me on my website at strugglecreatestrength.com. All podcasts are posted on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and additional posts are posted on Instagram as well. Be sure to share the podcast and the platform with all your friends and family because the more people that know about it means the more potential that it has to help somebody else. Thanks so much for listening and just remember that everyone has a story.